So the other night, I was re-watching one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a little movie from 1999 called Toy Story 2. If you haven't seen the movie, one day while attempting to rescue a toy from a yard sale, Woody becomes kidnapped accidentally uh, by a, a toy collector named Al. And as his pal Buzz Lightyear is mounting a rescue mission, Woody finds himself in Al's apartment, and he's aiming to escape. Take a look. What? It's a box. He's meant in the box. Never been opened. Turn me around, Bullseye, so I can see. Why the prodigal son has returned. Yeah! It's you and you, you're here! It's you and you and you! Okay, I'm officially freaked out now. Oh, we've waited countless years for this day. It's good to see you, Woody. Listen, I don't know what... Hey, how do you know my name? Everyone knows your name, Woody. Why, you don't know who you are, do you? Bullseye? It's a great film. Someone was applauding it. It's a great film. Probably the best, best Pixar movie ever made. Woody had no idea who he was, how valuable and unique he was. That's what I get out of this clip. Because he spent his entire life believing that he was just some hammy-down cowboy doll, this child's plaything, as opposed to a rare collector's item. A treasured possession, maybe one could say. Priceless. Woody never knew how prized and special he was, likely because no one ever told him, because he never imagined, he could never wrap his mind around or, or, or fathom that he was something more than he was. 
And this got me my mind thinking. What if we're not who we think we are? The more I grow in my relationship with God, the more that I read his word, the more I hear God telling me why you don't know who you are, do you? You did once. Once upon a time, you knew who you were. Way back when, when I fearfully and wonderfully made you out of the dust of the ground, when I breathed my breath of life into your nostrils, when I fashioned you in my image and likeness, you knew who you were. But something's happened since then. You've distanced yourself from me, and as a result, my beautiful creature, you've forgotten who you are. And I've watched you tirelessly search for your identity in all the wrong places, all the while I have worked tirelessly to help you remember. One of the central themes in the Bible is God telling people who they are and often giving them new identities. Whether it's Sarai becoming Sarah, or Abram becoming Abraham, or Jacob becoming Israel, or Simon becoming Peter, or Paul, Saul becoming Paul, you get the idea. God gives people a new identity and it happens in the context of a relationship with him. All throughout the scriptures, as humans have journeyed and gotten closer to God, God challenges the way they see themselves and the way they see their identity and says their identity they've been searching for can only be found in him. And so as I see it, the closer and longer we're in proximity to our creator, the better we know ourselves and we begin to flourish and we begin to live And we slowly but surely remember who we once were because God is constantly and repeatedly through various means and methods reminding us that we are made in his image and likeness, reminding us who we were back in the garden, who we were as beings. Because he hates to see that we're operating less than who we are because that's what sin does. It makes us less than human why you don't know who you are, do you? God tells us that we're temples. Don't you know that your body is a temple, this dwelling place for my very spirit? These identities, you guys, they come in the form of these unconventional nicknames or pet names that God says over and over to us, and they're loaded with meaning, but sometimes they go right over our heads because we don't know what they mean, but God speaks these nicknames over us, and sometimes we got to unpack them. God says, you're a temple, and it makes sense when you remember that God originally breathed his Spirit, his breath of life into us, and that's what animated us out of the dust of the ground. So it's no wonder that our that these physical bodies were meant to be sanctuaries and temples of his very spirit. Did you know that? That your physical body is, is important and that it's it has worthy. It's not pointless. It's not a trivial thing. Your bodies are beautiful. They're temples. That's what God says. Did you know that? God says. We're his handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things, Paul says in Ephesians, which God prepared for us in advance to do. And this makes sense when you remember that God, like a potter with clay, fashioned us out of the dust of the ground. He got his hands dirty at creation to make you. Why do we think our creator is through with his handiwork? 
His prized creation. Have you forgotten that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? But we tend to gravitate, don't we, to our brokenness and to our sin when our Creator says, I ain't finished with you yet. You're my handiwork. Over and over again, God is telling and reminding us who we are. If I am the vine, you are the branches. If I'm the head, you are a member of my body. If I'm the Lord of hosts, then you are a soldier equipped with my armor. If I'm the good shepherd, you are a member of my flock. And I know my flock, and my flock know me. As I see it, we're kind of like Woody. As he turns and the scene fades in and the lights come on, revealing all the merchandise and memorabilia that's laid out. And as his eyes widen, as he sees who he truly is, as we listen to our creator tell us who we are, as we're washed by the cleansing of God's word, Paul again says in Ephesians, as we meditate and survey who God says we are in his word, our eyes Widen and it dawns on us who we are. And I like to imagine there's a little bit of awe and amazement, and we're saying to ourselves, like Woody did, That's me. All right, that's the warm up. Now it's time for the sermon. (laughs) While I was away, I was meditating on a famous story Jesus told about a father who had two sons. One son disowns his dad, takes his share of the, his father's estate, leaves, and squanders it in wild living in a distant land, only to eventually come back, tail between his legs, and is incredibly forgiven by his loving father. Meanwhile, the father's other son, who remained home this entire time, is resentful towards his younger brother, refusing to go into a banquet, and Jesus leaves you on a cliffhanger as to whether or not he eventually does. I know you know this story. But there are a couple of parts of this story that stuck out to me that hadn't before, and I'd like to share them with you this morning. When the prodigal is said to finally come to his senses, sitting in a pigsty somewhere, Jesus says that he had rehearsed this little speech that he was going to recite to his father in hopes of getting back in his good graces. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please Take me on as a hired servant. The prodigal believes because of all that he has done, he is not deserving of ever being called a son again. He since lost that identity. It's unrecoverable, and he believes he can only reach the level of a slave in his father's household. He is convinced he can never be a son again. He can only be a servant. And so when he goes back and his father runs out to greet him, remember, his father runs out to greet him and the prodigal starts to get into his little spiel. Have you ever noticed that the father doesn't let him get to the part about being a servant? The prodigal says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then the father interrupts him, almost as if he's anticipating what his boy is going to say. And the father turns to the actual servants and says, Quick, we must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead. And has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. This son of mine. The father never addresses him as a servant, though that's what the prodigal wanted him to do. The prodigal is still a son. 
Despite everything that he's done, the entire time the prodigal thought he lost his identity as a son, that he forfeited it, that it's a distant memory, that it's an impossible dream, and by returning home, he thought he could only regain, if he's lucky, to be the rank of a servant, never a son. And never thought, the thought never crossed his mind that he could be a son, but the thought never crossed his father's mind that he was never a son. He is still a son. He never stopped being a son. Interestingly, as I kept reading, the prodigal's not the only son who doesn't think of himself as a son. I got to the part where we're introduced to the other son in the family, and I was struck by what the older brother said to the father. Have you ever noticed this? All these years, he says, I've slaved for you. Kind of sounds like a hired servant, doesn't it? While my brother was away doing what prodigals do, I was a good and faithful servant. Yet when this son of yours comes back, you celebrate. The older son has the same mentality as the younger son, except from a different angle. The older son believed being a son was the only, was being the same as being a slave. He equated sonship with slavery. Slavery is built on this notion that a person is reduced to their function. And a person is nothing more than what they can do for you. And the older son has reduced the definition of being a son to his usefulness, his practicality. He's scaling down the definition of a son to be on par with a slave. And just like his younger brother, he thought that the only way to be in dad's good graces was to be the best slave possible, not the best son possible. Just like before, the father chimes in and says, my son, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The older brother is still a son even though he can't believe he is. So as I see it, we have one son, the prodigal, who doesn't believe he is worthy of being a son and instead believes he can only be a slave, while on the other hand, we have another son, the older brother, who has reduced being a son to being a slave. Are you tracking with me here? And the funny thing enough for me is, I think there are a lot of us this morning who may find ourselves here. Some of us think because of what we've done, whether it's in our past or what we're doing in our present, we have forfeited the right to be a son and we're thus we're only willing to be a slave because that's all we think we can be. We all only think we can be a hired servant because at least a servant gets into heaven. But while on the flip side, I think there are a lot of us this morning who have been a Christian a long time, yet we've never been a son. We think that we are, except our definition of being a son is closer to that to being a slave than that of a child. Are you following me this morning? The, the message of the Father to both of those is the same. Why don't you don't know who you are, do you? You're not a servant. You are a son. My child. You are my heir. Maybe we're not who we think we are, church. Do you know you, all of you, are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ? That's what Paul says in Galatians this morning, church. You are sons. You're not slaves. 
doesn't matter your background or your race or your ethnicity or your gender or your social status, whatever it is, by simply having faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by trusting in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you, prodigals, by believing in the one who gave his life for your sins just as God our Father planned in advance in order to rescue you from the evil world in which we live, by simply having faith in the one who hung on that cross, taking upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing, not by slaving away at what you believe to be something that's religious or even good works or deeds to somehow earn your father's favor, older brothers. Don't undo what Christ has done and return to a form of slavery, even if that slavery has a spiritual coat of paint. For no one can be made right with God by obeying the law, Paul says. Paul says, I think to prodigals and older brothers alike this morning, come back to the simplicity of faith. It all comes back to faith. Just look at Abraham, he says. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Paul will say the real children of Abraham are then those who put their faith in God. So what this means, I think, to be a child of Abraham is not to have his blood, it's to have his beliefs. Paul says... What makes you a child of God is faith in a God. Faith in a God who, like a loving father when the right time came, sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could be, he could adopt us to be his very own children. Someone once said, Christ the Son became human so that humans can become sons. And because we're children, Paul goes on to say, because we've been adopted into the family of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, into your hearts as an advocate to operate at a deep level within us, to cooperate not once but repeatedly the reality of the father's love for you and your sonship to you to dispel any fear or reservations or suspicions we might have about our status as sons and daughters. Or as Paul says in Romans, you have received, not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave, for his spirit joins with our spirit and affirms that we are God's children. And it's prompting us to say, Abba, Father. Abba is this Aramaic word. It's primarily used by Jewish children. It's the first word they learn to address their father's friends. The literal translation of Abba is daddy or papa. And right there, you can sense how personal it is. Abba is the most intimate language of the family in the Jewish world, and it speaks to the familiarity of the child with their father. Abba is the way that Jesus talked about God, the way Jesus expressed his relationship to God. Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, in his great hour of need in the garden. And when he taught us to pray, he said to pray, Our Father. So not only did Jesus have this unique approach to God as a son and this intimate relationship he shares in the Trinity with his heavenly Father, but he wants his followers to have this same kind of relationship. And by the enabling of his Spirit, it emboldens us to approach God in the same way he did. So what this means, you guys, if I'm grasping what God is revealing to us, he wants us to view him as a father, 
And not in the same way we do our earthly fathers. Many people think that God is somehow a pale imitation of their earthly father, for better or worse. Your earthly father, friends, again, for better or worse, it ought to be a pale imitation of God. Don't reverse those. But what I also think this means is that I'm realizing, friends, we are sons and daughters of God. That is who you are. We are all children at heart, God's children. Did you know that, that you're sons and daughters of Almighty God? Henry Nouwen calls this our second childhood. Jesus called it being born again, not of a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, whereby one is accepted and given the right to become a children of God. And so I hear our Heavenly Father saying, you're no longer a slave. You are free to be a child of God. You are free to do what some consider to be audacious, to call upon God as Father and to mean it, to dare to call the master of the universe Papa, to dare to call the one who sits on the throne of the cosmos Abba, Daddy, to use other terms for God besides master and Lord and king. Those are all good terms. But you don't have to work up the courage or the boldness or the gumption to do this. Your heavenly father says, I'm inviting you to look on me as a father, as a daddy, because you are my child. You are my son and daughter, and I have adopted you. You are free to have an intimate and unique personal relationship with God, your heavenly Father. Being a child of God means you don't have to try as hard in your relationship with God. God already loves you and just wants to be with you like a father. It means in your prayers, by starting out with our Father, it opens up a portal to intimacy and vulnerability and transparency and openness with the God of the universe like never before and unlocks God's promises that you don't think belong to you, but now you are heirs to. All those promises are now yours because you are a child of God. Tim Keller once said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. It means when you approach God's word and you start reading and obeying and believing and sharing it, it's not some sort of rule book by a school teacher, but it's from your heavenly father who loves you and is looking out for you and is wanting to guide you step by step in your life. It means that when we gather together as the church, when we say we're the family of God, we actually mean it because we're all children together and we're joint heirs of an eternal reward, which is being with God, our Heavenly Father, forever. It means as you grow up, as you mature as a son or a daughter, you are free to embody and mimic and imitate your Heavenly Father in your words, deeds, and actions. God will later, or Paul will later say in Galatians, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Rather, he encourages us in our freedom to garner characteristics that take after our heavenly Father, to bear fruits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, 
faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. All of these are characteristics of God, and now as children of God, we can embody them ourselves. God, our Father, is rubbing off on us, and when others see that, they will know that you are one of the children of God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, John said. To, God, to call God Father is to simply live and dwell in a space that Jesus has created for you. To move from residing far away from God as his enemy or as a stranger or as an acquaintance or as a slave and move under the same roof as God. Built by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can inhabit a home not merely of our master and Lord and King, though that is all correct, but we now live under the same roof of a heavenly Father now and forever. And as a child, we are with God like we were always meant to be. God promises to be your heavenly Father who will never abandon you, who sees the good deeds you do in secret and reward you, who already knows all that you need before you ask. God is committed to being your heavenly Father, and he is inviting you through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ to be his child. You don't have to settle for being a hired servant like the prodigal. And being a child is not the same as being a slave, older brothers. You have the freedom to be a child. Late 19th century preacher George MacDonald once said, Those to whom God is not all in all are slaves. They may not commit great sins. They may be trying to do right, but so long as they serve God, as they call it, from duty and do not know him as their father, the joy of their being, they are slaves. Good slaves, but slaves. Henry Nouwen wrote, There is something in us humans that keeps us, from clean, keeps us clinging to our sins and prevents us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. While God wants to restore me to the full dignity of a son, I keep insisting that I will settle for only being a hired servant. Forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, Nouwen says, requires the total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing, restoring, and renewing. As long as I want to do even a part of that myself, I will end up with partial solutions such as being a hired servant. As a hired servant, I can keep my distance, still revolt, reject, strike, run away, and complain about my pay. But as a beloved son, I have to claim my full dignity and begin preparing myself to become the father. Friends, a lot of you think of being owned by God more than you think of being related to him. You speak of being used by God, like an employee or worse, a slave, as if God only cares about what you can do for him. You speak of salvation of being as being justified more than you speak of it being adopted. When you talk about the courtroom of heaven, you always think of it being acquitted of your crimes rather than being adopted by a loving parent. You pray, Lord, Lord, never our Father. You think of heaven as an eternal reward rather than an inheritance that every son and daughter has. Some of you are trying to earn what God has written in the will for you. I hear our Heavenly Father calling you and calling me to a new way of life. 
a restored status as a free child of God and requires us to let go of who we become and allow God to restore us to who we used to be, an honored child, spiritually alive, and it requires trust, faith, as Paul said. I'm not saying that we abandon being servants or even slaves of God. I know that language exists in the Bible, and I already can sense that some of you are going to challenge me with that after church service, and go ahead. But what I want you to not forget is that you were a child while you're working to be a servant. I heard someone once say, I want you to read servant verses like sons and daughters instead of reading son and daughter verses as slaves. Read servant verses as son and daughters instead of reading son and daughter verses as slaves. I'm inviting you to change your operating system from going from a slave to a child, from a servant to a son. I'm encouraging you to see yourself first and foremost as a child of God, an heir, a beloved. Oh, never forget that, church. Jesus once said to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Those who don't know who they are have to guess along the way. When you don't know who you are, you act like someone you're not, a person who is less than what they were meant to be, and it will be harder to live like that, being who we really are. Acting is always way harder than being. And when this happens, a great robbery takes place. You rob yourself of the world of what you could have offered if only you had known who you were. And what's worse, you rob God of the person he invented, the person he wanted to empower to serve this world. By remaining in the state of forgetfulness, you are abducting a child of God, which is yourself. This child is taken away, and a slave sits there instead. And the whole time, we thought that all we could be is his servant. No, no. You are a child of God. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child, Paul told the Galatians. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. 